let's talk about the exciting topic of heating and hot water for tenants. Landlords, you need to know what your responsibility is and your obligations are when it comes to providing tenants with heating and hot water. So I'm going to tell you a story about a real life example of when a landlord got it wrong and spent money when they didn't have to. However, this is a bit of a battle between legislation, morals and money. Let me explain. There's a landlord that had a tenant in the property and it was an elderly man that rented this property from them. 70 years old, uh, renting from a landlord. And this landlord is just a regular landlord. Uh, I think he's got two properties, this one, and has always managed them himself, not had too many problems, had the odd issue here and there, but nothing dramatic. So this tenant reported on a Thursday that their heating and hot water was not working. So obviously that's an issue with the boiler. So the landlord sends out a plumber. Plumber goes and inspects the boiler and reports back to the landlord saying that he needs to order a part for this boiler to be fixed. And that part won't be delivered until the following Tuesday. So timeline of events. Tenant reported the heating and hot water issue on a Thursday. Plumber went round the same day, couldn't get the part until Tuesday because it required a part in order to fix the boiler. The tenant's daughter got involved. Now remember this tenant is a 70 year old man so the daughter was a grown woman herself and got involved and said you can't leave my 70 year old dad in a house in the winter with no heating or hot water. She also said it's your obligation, your legal obligation to provide your tenants with heating and hot water. So the tenant, or the tenant's daughter, I'm just gonna say the tenant, the tenant was insistent that the landlord either get the problem fixed immediately because it's the landlord's legal requirement to provide heating and hot water to the tenant. Basically, it's got to be habitable and that includes heating and hot water. Or the tenant demanded that the landlord put the tenant up in a hotel whilst this problem was being fixed. Now, if you look up the legislation on this, yet yeah, it does state that the landlord has to provide tenants with heating and hot water. And any disruption to that service must be dealt with in a reasonable time frame. That's exactly what it says, a reasonable time frame. So what is a reasonable time frame? That's the question. In this case, the landlord said, well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got to provide heating and hot water for the tenant, and in this case, I can't. So I've got to put this tenant up in a hotel so that the tenant can have heating and hot water, sanitation, cleanliness, all of those things, to do their washing, to clean themselves, to do those things with heating and hot water. I've got to do that. So the landlord put the tenant up in a hotel nearby, and that was that. And this would have cost the landlord a few hundred pounds. But the landlord's feeling was, well, I'd rather pay a few hundred pounds to give this tenant a suitable, habitable uh, accommodation than this tenant be in the cold and for me to be breaking my legal obligations as a landlord. But you know what? As a landlord myself, I agree with that. 
I think that's the right thing to do. However, it's not necessarily the thing that's required by law because the law states that you must have that problem fixed within a reasonable time frame. Now, in this case, the tenant reported the heating and hot water issue on a Thursday. The plumber got to the property on the same day, but the part that was required could not be delivered until the following Tuesday. That means, by the law, the landlord had got this problem fixed within a reasonable time frame. Because if the tenant owned that property, they could not have got that problem fixed any faster because that was the part that was required and that was how long that part was going to take to be delivered. So actually, by the law, the landlord didn't have to put the tenant up in a hotel at all. Actually, the landlord didn't have to do anything other than the course of action that is to the letter of the law in that he sent a contractor out to the property, the contractor initiated the activity to get this problem resolved in a reasonable time frame and that is the correct way to do it. So the reason I said this is a battle between legislation, morals and money was because first of all, if you are going to follow the law to the letter, then no, you don't have to put that tenant up in a hotel at all. You don't have to do anything other than correct that problem, fix that issue within a reasonable time frame, first of all. Second of all, if you're going to act morally and, in my opinion, in good practice, then yeah, put the tenant up at least for a couple of nights or something to make that tenant comfortable, first of all, but also to reassure that tenant that, hey, I'm a good landlord, I want to look after you, I want you to be there long term, and I hope that you're going to continue looking after the property and pay your rent. Now, for me, that's the route I would go. I personally believe that you're not a landlord anymore. That's what I believe. You're not a landlord. You are a property investor. You're a business person now. Your property is your product, your tenant is your customer, and your management of the property and the tenancy is your service. So therefore, you must do everything you can to make sure that your tenants are happy and comfortable and content, they're getting value for money, and they stay with you long term. And the best businesses in the world do that brilliantly. They keep their customers long term because they look after them. And landlords, let's call them landlords, because that's what we're still known as, but landlords don't do that often enough. Too many landlords think about the money. And that's why I said it's legislation versus morals versus money. I should actually say legislation versus good practice versus money. So the money part, look, that cost the landlord a few hundred pounds. But let's look at it in the opposite scenario. If that landlord had have refused and not spent 300 pounds, then that tenant would have become more uncomfortable, frustrated in the property meaning the tenant is more likely to want to leave. Now, I'm not saying the tenant would have definitely left. I'm just saying that tenant would be more likely to leave, especially in this case, because the daughter was putting pressure on the landlord to get this problem resolved, to put the tenant up in a hotel. So there's probably a lot of pressure on the landlord, but also a lot of pressure on the tenant. If this landlord didn't get that or didn't do that for them, then they would be thinking, hmm, maybe I should start to find a new property. Now I can't trust my landlord. Now I'm feeling a bit frustrated with my landlord. You never know. What I'm saying is that it increases the chances of your tenant wanting to leave. At least it might prompt them to have a look around for a better property, better deal, something 
something like that. So what that means in terms of money is if, if that tenant moves out and your property's on the market for one month and then the tenant moves in one month later, you've just lost a couple of months rent just for the sake of putting your tenant up in a hotel for a few hundred quid, if that. So the moral of the story, you have to find this perfect balance between your legal requirements, your good practice and money. You've got to find that perfect balance. You have to think of all of this stuff like an investment because that's what it is. Even if you consider yourself to be an accidental landlord, it's still an investment because at any point you could sell that property and take the cash, but you're not. You're leaving that cash in the property. So think of it as an investment, first of all. Consider your legal requirements, but also act in good practice because you need to start seeing yourself as a business person. You might not want to, and I'm not saying you've got to go and start limited companies and get accountants and start carrying out all these business practices and marketing and ad admin. And I'm not talking about starting a business. I'm talking about thinking like a businessman. And remember that the property is your product, the tenant is your customer, and your management of the property and tenancy is your service. If you do all of those things in good practice, if you provide your tenant with good value, you keep them secure and safe and comfortable, then they will be with you long term, and that means you will have a very secure return on investment. All right, hope that helps. Now listen, if you've got any situations currently, I'd love to hear from you. And this isn't a sales pitch, by the way. I'm terrible at those. This is, I, I genuinely want to hear of other people's stories because then I can share them. And I'm not gonna mention any names, I'm not gonna mention any examples of anything that would give away who you are or who your tenant is or where you are or anything like that. Just as I've done with this story I've just given you, people contact me with their issues because I advise them and I give them help and I give them support and, and resources on how to resolve those problems. I quite enjoy doing that actually, it's a bit of a problem solver. We call it our landlord rescue service. It's brilliant, but look, if you've got an issue which you're not entirely sure how to resolve or how you're supposed to resolve it, maybe you're torn between the legal requirement, good practice and money, then let me know and I will do my best to advise you. If I can't help you, I will point you in the right direction. If I can't point you in the right direction, which is very rare, then I will apologize. But anyway, look, hope that helps. Let me know if you need some help from me. You can contact me directly by email. I answer all emails. It's tom at sonegroup.co.uk. Hope to hear from you all soon.